Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, and welcome to Academy Rewind, the fortnightly podcast where we take a look at the Oscars from years past. I'm Tim, and with me, as always, for our newest season is my man who just loves the number two. It's Palmer. How are you today? Tired. You woke me up too early. It is over 1 p.m. in the afternoon. It is 1.15 in the afternoon, Eastern Standard Time. I had to watch nine movies. I was up till 5 a.m. It's not my fault that you have bad time in. Management and didn't watch them at an earlier time. That's not isn't right. it though? No, it's, isn't it? It's truly not. I've had these movies done for like two and a half weeks already. I don't even know if I know what they're about anymore. We'll find out. It's been like a week episode. because like War Horse, it, you took until like yesterday to watch. Well, that's because that's because uh, it was last week, and that's because my wife wanted to watch it. And the ones that my wife wants to watch, it always takes me to the very last second <laughs> because it comes down to no, I really have to watch this right now. Like we See, don't. Have what, choice. what you have to do is, whenever she's home, have it ready on iTunes, and whenever she walks into the room, you hit play. I, I've done that. Does it, it, sometimes that's a, sometimes that is effective. Sometimes it's not. That's how I got her to watch the Ninja Turtles movie, though. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know, it's all good. You'll uh, you'll like this movie. It's about animals. That's right. You love turtles. She does. Um. All right. So anyway, we're here to talk about uh the twos of the. The best picture of the best picture nominees, um, 2012, 2002, 92, 82, so on and so <laughs> and, forth. And then the rest. <laughs> and the rest. Um, it's like the like Gilgit's Island theme song. And the rest. <laughs> Here on Academy Rewind. Um, but this today's episode is just 2012. Here are the films. The Descendants, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, Moneyball, Midnight in Paris, War Horse, The Artist, The Help, Hugo, and Tree of Life. Palmer what won Best Picture? The Artist. The Artist did indeed win. It was one of those years where everyone went, uh, the Oscars doesn't care about regular people. They only pick movies that nobody likes. So on and so on and so forth. It was one of those winners. Um, we'll see if that, uh, we'll see if that holds by the time that we get to talk about The Artist. Let's go backwards and start with The Descendants, directed by Alexander Payne, written by Alexander Payne, Nat Faxon, Jim Rash, Cowie Hart Hemming, Starring George Clooney, Shailene Hay Woolley, and Amara Miller. Whew, that was tough to say. Um, uh, nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor for George Clooney, Directing and Editing. This movie won Adapted Screenplay. Story is about a land baron, uh, George Clooney, who tries to reconnect with his two daughters after his wife is seriously injured in a boating accident. Um, I believe that when you were watching this movie, you were like, oh, Alexander Payne, what, have, what has the world <laughs> done to you? Who hurt you? for you to make these movies about these sad, sad people, but somehow still make them so incredibly uh, entertaining and enjoying to watch. See, it's weird because you just went over like what the movie was about, and that is the complete opposite of the movie that I saw. I saw a movie about Disney villains' kids. Disney villains' kids? What? Yeah. Explain this. There's, seri- there's a series of movies called The Descendants, and it's all based <laughs> on the children of Disney characters. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. You're like, oh no, I thought this was a weird choice of an. <laughs> 
was very low budget. I didn't understand. What yeah, like I, I thought this was direct to TV, but all right, they went in a different direction this year. Yep. Yeah, it was a strange year, 2012. Um, no. So anyway, The Descendants takes place in Hawaii. So the movie is playing like it tells you at the beginning, like, oh, everyone thinks we live in paradise because it's Hawaii, but actually we have the same problems as everybody else. It's just Hawaii. Like we're just surrounded by ocean, but also it's the same problem. Like everybody deals with the same stuff. And I kind of liked that this movie, I, I, I liked the dichotomy between quote unquote paradise of Hawaii versus the real somber, the real somber stuff, but also even like the important business dealings happen in like button down shirts and shorts and sandals. And like at one point, George Clooney's like, don't let their like look fool you. Where like in other states where they look like hillbillies, these are the most important people like on the <laughs> islands and stuff like that. I, that was very, that was very cool to me. I loved, I loved the, the parallels that, um, and the juxtaposition that the, um, that the movie was, was going against. Um, there's also this like B plot, which is really the descendants is also a kind of a parallel title, right? Because the descendants referring to George Clooney's kids, right? But also they're the descendants of, um, a princess of Hawaii in his family owns, um, a huge stretch of land that's like going to be given back to the state. So they're looking to sell it and all of this stuff and, and whether like if that's the right thing to do or not to do blah 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 this really worked for me across the board I'd never seen it before I kind of had always wanted to see it and it was never one that was like oh I'll sit down and watch this kind of depressing movie but I didn't find it <laughs> I didn't find it depressing because of like without giving too much away like the stuff about his wife like and then the kind of like the mission that <laughs> ah, she deserved it yeah like you know she's like it wasn't great you know because well I guess a little bit of spoiler so George Clooney finds out that his wife was cheating on him and so he and his eldest daughter like go on this like little side quest mission to like <laughs> tell the, the 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 other man that like his mistress or whatever is dying and that he should go say goodbye but he's got a family of his own and it's like all this stuff going back and forth i just thought it was so well crafted from start to finish like i thought it really deserved its i thought it deserved its award in its mm-hmm. category um yeah i i actually agree the only thing i would say that's a knock on this movie and unfortunately there's just no getting around it is george clooney's still just george clooney oh sure absolutely yeah I, like he's good i george clooney's always good but he's never I, i've never seen george clooney kind of like transcend himself the right way that i've watched like i don't know like kate blanchett like transcend herself and she's right someone else but yeah it's just not the kind of actor he is you know he's good he he's very good at being george clooney in things but he does well at like being the george clooney you need him to be in the type of movie he's in right because he's not he's not the same character or the same guy in er as he is in batman and robin as he is in the descendants even though it's clearly george clooney it's almost like tom hanks that way where it's always tom hanks but there are varying degrees of what hanks you're getting um Kind of, but I would argue that there are times that I've seen Tom Hanks actually disappear into a role, like Forrest Gump. Sure, actually, yeah. Okay. And, I, I and I've never really seen yeah. George Like, anytime I watch George Clooney on screen, yeah, he's good, but I'm just like, hey, it's Bruce Wayne from that Batman movie. Mm-hmm. Sure, it's Dr. Um, Ross from ER. I got gotcha. you. I, I never saw ER. <gasps> 
Oh, you would love ER. I'm actually really surprised. <laughs> um, but uh, the George Clooney thing aside, I thought this movie is uh, terrifically well written. I think it's better than Sideways, and I kind yeah. of liked Sideways. Yeah, I like uh, Sideways too. I like the the swill, you know. <laughs> so, so no, I, I, this is a better movie than Sideways. Yeah. This is, yeah. I you know I really like the I really like the um, the supporting cast around him, Shana Woodley, uh, Matthew Lillard as the grimy mistress. Yep, Mister Mister uh, the grimy Mister. Yep, Judy Greer as his wife. Know what's so weird? I, you see Judy Greer from a distance, like a really long shot of her coming down the stairs. Like it could be yeah. anybody in the world, and I'm like, "That's Judy Greer." Like yeah. I just know it in my heart. I didn't know she was in the movie. I just yeah, neither did I until I until she showed Greer. up. Yeah, yep. and I'm sitting. I'm like, "Really, you're cheating on Judy Greer? She is a national treasure." I agree. I don't like you, Matthew Lillard. Nope. Uh, I do have a question. So we've watched three. I think we've watched three pain movies so far. We've watched Sideways, The Descendants, and Nebraska. How do you stack them? Uh, this is easily the top. I agree. I think this is his best, followed by Nebraska, then Sideways. Eh, I would I would flip the other two. Okay. All right. Yeah, I love Nebraska. That. Nebraska, I think, is good just on the back of the of the performances. Sure. Well, but I think, overall, yeah. the story I don't think is nearly as compelling. Sure, but in in this case, it's it's the story that is ultimately compelling, whereas everything else is kind of second foot to it. Yeah, but the sum the sum of everything else also holds up to the story. Story. Like the story doesn't just the story isn't the only thing elevating this movie. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. I no because I think like I said the the setting costumes the the clip that it moves at the editing is very good. Like all the I think all of it works, but the yeah. the story is just better than the rest. Uh yes, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I, the dynamic because you have many different dynamics. You have the fact that he's dealing with having to decide whether or not to take his wife off of life support. Then he's also dealing with children that he never really had to care for alone. One who is kind of like a wild child and one that's already like going down that path. Uh, Then you have him finding out about his wife's infidelity. And, you know, the fact that he finds out from his daughter, his eldest daughter, who, who like, walked in on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then telling, like, her parents, like, hey, she's she's going to die. And having to take all the frustration from her father yep. that her father takes out on him. And not to be like, well, you know, your, your daughter is a cheating whore. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because he's really, because <laughs> even though he w- he's the most hurt in all of the, like, everything that's happened he's still trying to protect like their identity as a family and like who she was to everybody and all that kind of stuff so like you know even at the beginning where he's like when the doctor's like if she's not gonna make it like you should just like she's just nothing you should need to pull the plug and he's like yeah no she's doing fine like we're doing okay you know you know he's just not ready to let go yet so it's also a movie about where he's he's so detached at the beginning of the movie he weirdly has a problem letting go but then also it's about reconnecting with his daughters who he's never connected with before is it just it's it's a it's an onion movie right there are many I, layers i would argue that the person who is dying is more hurt than him what well, physically hurt sure sure <laughs> yeah ultimately she's uh, the most hurt yeah um but yeah no there there's not much to dislike about this movie and even then like you're right you know i say george clooney's like the weakest part of this movie and i mean that not 
necessarily as a dig to George Clooney, but kind of a compliment to the rest of the movie because he's fine, and this movie, the rest of this movie, transcends fine to be really good. Yeah, so I think he's very good. I, but I always think that. But I agree with you that I like. I don't think I've never seen George Clooney like excel beyond what he what he does. Like you hire George Clooney to do a very particular thing, and right. I, I think he he does. He does a little bit beyond that. Like he it, he's actually he has his sense of comedic timing is quite good in this movie like he really like or this might I think it always him, is I agree but it I think he he plays it just enough like he he layers everything just enough um that he's never too sad he's never too lonely or depressed or funny or snarky or he's just he he's got it all under control as an actor and I think that's very hard to do I think my favorite bit of him though is when he discovers that his wife was cheating on him and he just like jumps out of the car and he runs in his flip-flops to his friend's house <laughs> and you just hear as he's going like there's stuff like that that i'm like that's superstar george clooney doesn't do things like that you know what i mean like because it makes him look like a fool and i think that like, see i him, props to him for doing that kind of thing see i think that's george clooney in a nutshell explain um, just going by like the movies and kind of like the gossips that you know the, when the paparazzi would follow him around all the time. Like he's always kind of portrayed as like a really fun-loving, goofy person. Mm-hmm. You know, so I could see like George Clooney just like running in flip-flops. You know, not caring about what it looks like because he thinks it's funny. Oh no, I sorry, I sh- I should I sh- I should um, reiterate. I don't think he's high and mighty. Don't get me wrong. Like I don't think that. I think it's just that when you see him in films, he's usually like well put together. He's, you know, he's... Um, yeah, the character he's playing is different than correct. Than that, most that's of the time. That's what I mean. I, I, There's not a dig on George Clooney, who, right. is, who I love. George Clooney's great. Unless, of course, by the time this episode comes out, we find out he's a total skis bag, and then I hate him. You know? <laughs> but, you know, just, you know, but right now, as of recording we'll re- this... We'll re-record uh, over parts of this. I will not. I covered myself pretty well. <laughs> Give me some fun facts. One close-up briefly shows Elizabeth Ponahu School Diploma. Ponahu School in Honolulu is the largest private school in the United States. It was built in 1841 and added to the National Registry of Historic Places in 1972. President Obama graduated from the school in 1979. Wow. That's yeah, that's fun. Good set location. In one scene, Elizabeth's mother is called Tutu, Hawaiian slang for grandparent. I did know that. I don't know yeah. why I knew that, but I did. In September 1992, Hurricane Niki blew apart many chicken coops on the Kauai that housed birds that were allegedly used for cockfighting. By the time the film went into production, there were thousands of feral chickens roaming the island. In the Kauai scenes, chickens are sometimes seen wandering through the shot. A few were wandering around the parking lot in the exterior shot of the restaurant. Sometimes the crew had to shoo chickens away before a take. Some takes were disrupted by crowing roosters. That's hilarious. I actually did see a couple of... like. I did see a couple like wandering around and I was like I didn't know that Hawaii just had chickens and roosters wandering around how interesting but yeah now I know <laughs> it's kind of like filming around here now and you know you just have turkeys wandering through the shot mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, man I actually just passed two like on my way to do this so <laughs> yep they're everywhere um, okay extremely loud and incredibly close directed by Stephen Daldry written by Eric Roth based on the novel by Jonathan Safran Foer starring Thomas Horn, Tom Hanks, Sandra
Sandra Bullock and Max von Sydow um, with special guest appearances by Viola Davis and um, somebody, probably other people whose names I've already forgotten. Oh, that's upsetting. Good job. I'm you had gonna, one job. No, I mean, I, I don't, I can only list so many people before you're like, okay, you did it. There's some people. Oh, John Goodman. I knew it. John Goodman was the doorman. I knew I would, I knew I wanted somebody else. And Jeffrey Wright is Viola Davis's husband. Good people. Anyway, yep. no, nominated for Best Picture and Supporting Actor for Max von Sydow. This movie won Best Director. Uh, the story is about a nine-year-old amateur inventor, uh, francophile and pacifist, as he searches through New York City for a lock that matches a mysterious key left behind by his father, who died in the World Trade Center on September 11th, 2001. I had uh, seen this film before I saw it in theaters. Um, I remember liking it very much when I saw it all those years ago. Probably 2011 was probably the last time that I saw it. So I was keen to go back and watch it again. Um, I thought it was fine uh, the second time. I think it kind of, if you if you know what's going to happen at different points, I think it, it, part of it kind of loses its charm. Um, and is a little overly long for the story that it's telling. But I think that the kid, Thomas Horn, does a remarkably good job at being engaging without being too overtly um, in your face or annoying. Like you end, like you really can and do root for him. And I, but I think that Max von Sydow as his like partner in crime, almost like the guy he that accompanies him. I think he he is kind of what he tempers. Like in the movie, he tempers um, Thomas Horn's character, but the nine year old. But he also. Um, I guess he uh, he provides the audience with some relief from the intensity of the story um, because it is pretty intense. I mean, this is a kid who um, you know potentially uh, he was he was tested for Asperger's. They said so he was, which we now call just level one autism. It's not even Asperger's anymore. But um, um, so he's but he was tested for autism. It was inconclusive, and so he's just kind of you know he he's a little bit of an oddball in himself. And his father is the one that kind of knew how to keep him going, keep him on track, all these things. So when his dad died, a kid sends the kid into a spiral. Um, and then, um, and then blah, 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 all this stuff. What did you think? Uh, the setup is fine and the story it wants to tell is fine. There is no reason for this story to have involved the 9-11 attacks. Um, it, yes and no. I think, you know, it's funny from a distance, like, you know, being 10 years removed from 10 years removed from, uh, this film, 20 years almost removed from nine, yeah, 20 years removed from nine 11. Um, it, this was about the time where they started to make stuff with nine 11 as kind of the focal <laughs> point. So I think it felt more fresh then or edgy then, but I, I'd agree. Like it could have been any story. It doesn't really have to be 9-11. Right, and that's the thing. It's, it's a very generic story about a kid who lost his father. So there's no... So my complaint is, so there was a movie with um, Robert Pattinson that came out. It was like a teen rom drama. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm blanking on the name right now. But the... It also involved 9-11. And the movie was trashed for using 9-11 as its emotional point. And that's what I feel like this movie does. Uh, no, I agree. I I am with you. I don't think that everybody was on board with it using 9/11 as its emotional point. Remember but, me. Yes, yeah, remember me. The, I was looking, yeah. I was scrolling through his movies because yeah. there's so many of them that I, I couldn't I couldn't find it. But I I agree there is a point though where um it, sometimes making sometimes making art with a tra like a national tragedy or a world tra international tragedy helps 
helps keep it alive for people like who don't remember it so clearly weren't around for it you know like we're we're far past the point like the kids obviously kids being born today were like 20 years out we've got you know 20 years of kids who have been born who don't remember 9-11 even a couple of years before that they were too young they'd be too young to remember it, it doesn't have an impact on them and so making but- sto- so making stories like this no different than uh, no different than um making schindler's list or something like that at, at least it you know it um well it schindler's able to list give you an emotional it is able to kind of give you the uh, the emotion that's there schindler's list is definitely about the event that's taking place like you can't make schindler's list without having the holocaust like it's True. just not a thing you know so but that's my point is like there is nothing needed from 9-11 in this movie that you couldn't do with something else and i think the fact that it just uses 9-11 and at times i think really overuses it to just make the movie emotional yep the only thing that i would say that it it would do is it gives new york a sense of family and community and caring in a post 9-11 world where everyone's like you know people are afraid who you trust all the stuff in this movie is actually about trusting strangers trusting in the goodness of other people that like in a in the city that was attacked that you don't know so like i so like it doesn't just use 9-11 for the death of the father and all this but it it does because it's located because of its new york location there is like a bit of it there i'm not saying it's great like uh, but i you know what but and you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna turn that around on you too because having 9-11 puts this movie more in the real world than a regular movie you know because 9-11 actually happened um, I so, would say that's not. I would. I would. I get what you're saying there, and maybe because like it's you know it's something we remember. It's in uh, it's in our minds in that stuff. But like one of your favorite films is Pearl Harbor, which is like yeah, it's a, great. Yeah, but it but it's not a but it get it uses Pearl Harbor for its emotion. It's not really about the attack of Pearl Harbor. It's a love story. It is though. There's the entire third act about it. It's a love story that uses Pearl Harbor to kind of make its point like titanic it uses it's a love story set on a historical both, event both spend far more time on the tragedy that has the the tragedy that the movie is in than this movie does that's true but i think that the tragedy is happening around them but those movies are also decades removed from the event that but again this i also put i also put pearl harbor and titanic more set in the real world than other movies because they're they're being based on some events that actually happened. Because of that, in this movie that uses 9-11, a real-life tragedy, there is, like, I'm sitting there throughout most of the movie thinking, like, Sandra Bullock is easily the world's worst mother by letting her child, who's nine years old, run around New York on his own. And she's like, all right, bye. And then I know what you're going to say. Well, there's the thing later on. That makes it even worse. No, I don't think that makes it. No, that's the whole point. Oh, it's point though that like it's about trusting in the goodness of people in a world that is where the, people are not trusting of one another it's and not the fact the that it's set world. in a the fact that it's set in a world of 9-11 that is not equatable like that isn't at that time that was the worst time to do it no no but so it, the, the point is the point is to get people to stop being
being so insulated to stop to the fear mongering, the hatred, all of that stuff. The point is to gather and help each other as a community. And so arguably the best time to make something like that is when people need to hear it. There's a there's a difference between when people need to hear it and when people are accepting to hear it. And those two are not present. I those two are not equal in this I movie. think that's up to the I think that's up to the person that's and that's not really you know that's up to the person who's watching it and maybe not uh incredibly up to you and i feel that this is i've taken a stance here like i love this movie i said at the front it's just okay like it's like it's a movie um max the only max von sidow is the but tom hanks is the best part until he goes away and then the best part is replaced by max von sidow like um and so like i'm defending a movie that i don't even really like that much (laughs) and that's fine but so all right all else aside, this movie's nominated for two reasons. It's got Tom Hanks, and it's about 9-11. That's um, it. That, I... Yes, although I do think Max von Sydow deserved his nomination, and I get why Stephen Daltrey won Best Director, because he... There's a lot of pieces working that... There's a lot of pieces here that he's got to work to make not offensive to people who, like, lost their lives, or the family, or the families um, of the victims of 9-11, um, the mood of the country... Um, his his lead his um, acting lead is nine years old, and you and you spend I mean, much of time with that. Like that's that's a the lot. Of the country th- ten years on is a lot different. Doesn't like, ma- come on, on, this movie wasn't made in two thousand two. No, but it but for the victims of a tragic event, that doesn't matter. It, that, the it, family. I'm not I'm not discounting the family aspect. I'm just saying your take of the mood of the nation is different than the family take. I yes, but your but your whole but like what I'm saying, the mood of the nation is like what your what you were just saying about the, the use of 9/11 is setting in the real world and I think that they did a I think they did a decent job at at it um and <laughs> even if you even if you are not Yeah you're I'm not upset that they used 9/11 I'm upset that there are movies that have used 9/11 that got trashed for it and this arguably uses 9/11 in the same instances just for the emotional centerpiece Yep well what I think this is a question that I you might have the answer to. Do you know when this one was made versus when those other ones were made? Because I think that does I think that does make some kind I think that does make some kind of difference. Because I remember United ninety three come out same year World actually Trade Center same year same year interesting yeah interesting now is you that, know I why because one Pat- has Tom Hanks I haven't seen that Pattinson movie is it good yes what makes it good uh it's a pretty decent love story. Um, um, but he, it, but and it's, it you know what it's kind of is it real world because that's 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 what you need it to be is it real world your yeah, own criteria yeah people aren't going around talking to strangers and hope they don't get killed or, or abducted like this is about two people who fall in love happens in the real world the boy is a little bit of a he's a little bit not necessarily a rebel but he's a little bit out of control like George Clooney's child in the Descendants because his father and him are aren't necessarily close and it's about him connecting with his father and also finding this girl and that to me is more real world than letting your nine-year-old child run around new york city like i'm not saying she's a good mom like i'm not i'm not defending like her parents i'm pretty sure you did 
no, not once have I mentioned her. Because I said, it, I, I said, I said that, and you said no. No, I didn't. Run once, back the tape. It was like I ten did, minutes ago. I, there, we're not using tape. It's digital. <laughs> like, um, and, I'm using tape. Well, that's going to be tricky for sending me that file. <laughs> um, FedEx, baby. So here's the thing, though. Extremely loud, incredibly close has a six point nine out of ten on IMDb, and Remember Me has a seven point one out of ten. So even go- worse. If you're going by, if you're going by, how is it even worse? You just said that Remember Me was a better. Why didn't movie. Remember Me get nominated, huh? Because it doesn't have Tom Hanks. I mean, that's true. That is actually possible. I'm going to look up the IMDb while we're while we're talking about them. Do some fun facts while I look this up. Do some fun facts about a movie in which 9/11 is the central plot point. Okay, uh, Sandra Bullock was in New York with her family and witnessed the second plane crashing into the World Trade Center. James Gandolfini film scenes as someone who meets Sandra Bullock's character at a grief counseling, but they cut him from the film due to negative test audience reaction. His character was most likely Ron from the book. Thomas Horn came to the attention of Stephen Daldry when, at the age of 12, he won $31,800 on Kids Week episode of the television series Jeopardy that aired on July 8, 2010, a date Thomas mentions at 44 minutes in the special features, finding Oscar on the Blu-ray disc. Well, there you go. I didn't listen to most of those because I was busy looking stuff up, but good for you. All right, so extremely loud, incredibly close. 45% critic um, a critic percentage um, and 61% on Rotten Tomatoes. 45 for critics, 61 for the general audience. Remember Me has a 27 for the critics and a 69% for the audience. Yes, it's it's definitely not it's definitely not newsworthy that teenage romance movies, much like a lot of genre films get trashed by critics. Correct. Here's the thing, though. I it, Basically, looking at this, is the, it says there's a borderline offensive twist in Remember Me. So th- if I remember correctly, like, you don't know that it's, n- like, he's a 9-11 victim until the end of the movie, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. I think that's that's the thing that Pan, that, like, because Extremely Loud tells you up front, this is what we're doing. Like, this, like, that's one thing. Remember Me wants it, to, uses it as a twist, just as a like a oh, you didn't see that coming. The old Shyamalan twist, like yeah. See, I don't find like, it as a twist. I just find it as an ending. Yeah. See, I think it's like oh, twist ending. It's nine eleven. Didn't just FYI. That I can see as that I can see as offensive. So the story itself might be better, but its presentation of how they use nine eleven is less offensive in extremely loud than it is in Remember Me. Story. Uh, I wouldn't. Story I would, concluded. We're moving. I on. would definitely not Moneyball, say that. Moneyball directed by. Bennett Miller, written by Aaron Sorkin and Steven Zalian, story by Stan Chevron, based on the book by Michael Lewis, starring Brad Pitt, Jonah Hill, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Robin Wright, and Chris Pratt. Nominated for Best Picture, actor for Pitt, supporting actor for Hill, editing, sound mixing, and adapted screenplay. This movie didn't win a single award, and I think that's a travesty, truly. Uh, Oakland A's general manager, Billy Bean's successful attempt to assemble a baseball team on a lean budget by employing computer-generated analysis to acquire new players. Solid movie. Four to five. One of the best baseball movies out there. We talked about this Hey, for season. once you're actually right. Yeah, uh, we talked about this last season on the previous episode. One of the best baseball movies out there. We didn't mention A League of Their Own, which I think is a, a travesty on our own part, because that is definitely top five best baseball movies. Um, and this is, I, I think, one of them. This movie is so freaking good. Um, I can't stand it. Everybody's on point. 
the my only criticism is it for a Sorkin movie. It's weirdly slow um, because it's not a Sorkin movie. Yeah, it is and it's not. You're right. It's not solely Sorkin. Therefore, it it doesn't move at a Sorkin pace, even though the like the dialogue is there. Um, he was brought on after the script was done to do some rewrites, and he was like, "All right, but I can't do much to this script." So like he probably reworked some of the dialogue, but he didn't like he didn't have a lot to do with the script. Most of this script is the other guy. And in fact, Sorkin was like, I, you know, I'm not going to do much of this script. I'm only going to do this if you keep the other guy's name on it. Wow. Okay. So that's, that's good. What a good guy, Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. That's good. You know, and you can see the bits that are his, like, you know, like when, you know, I'm pointing at you, you know, like when I point at you, you, you answer. That's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's all, that's a Sorkin thing. Um, yeah, I loved it. And I am not a math guy. I'm not a stats guy. Um, so like, then why do you like, teach math? I don't teach math. This is well established. Josh teaches think... math. God. Oh, I'm you, pretty sure you both you, teach math. You confuse. Us Josh doesn't even listen to the podcast. I know. That's why Stop I'm Name-dropping Josh. <laughs> Go back to name-dropping Jen. <laughs> Jen doesn't teach math, so... Um, no, I have, she has a kid. I'm sure she does. Um, um, we, um, going back to this, uh, I, I'm not... A, it's, it's almost like watching The Big Short, where, like, I don't know what they're talking about, but it, but they're saying it with interest, and I like that. Um, <laughs> and that, that's where I, I think, uh, that's where I think this movie excels. Like, even, a, I, I'm not good at the stats, but I'm following following enough along that I can pretend that I know what's happening. Like, I'm never confused. I just kind of gloss yeah, over Yeah, they give you enough. Mind. Yeah. They and give you enough information on what they're talking about to not have to know what they're talking about. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and you're right. This is easily one of the top five, maybe top ten baseball movies. I'd say top ten. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Brad Pitt, who also kind of falls into the George Clooney of things, where, like, whenever he's there, he's just Brad Pitt. He does his Brad Pitt thing. That's correct. He's right. very good. Um, um, it, but it's yeah. a Brad Pitt thing. Him and him and Jonah Hill have a great chemistry together. Um, I, you know, I really like baseball, so it's nice seeing like the, how the sausage was made. Mm-hmm. I really like, you know, because of this movie and because of their philosophy. Um, like I, I typically follow. I don't watch their games, but I'll follow the Oakland A's. And if the Red Sox are out of it, I will. I root for the Oakland A's because I really want Billy Bean to to win a championship. Yeah. Um, because um, spoiler, he doesn't in this movie. Like correct, but also like everybody really like he changed the way that people like make baseball teams. And yeah, so, some like some would argue not for the better. I actually yeah. I actually had this conversation with somebody. Here's the here's the thing, and the reason they would argue that is with what they're doing now, which is an evolution of what he did. Because everything evolves, like all the stuff evolves. He did this in Oakland and then the Red Sox started doing it two years later Red Sox won a championship right and now it's now it's I think it's a little bit over the over the top um, but that being said like this movie is really good at showing you how how baseball was kind of run and the teams were formed prior and now what teams have started trying to do and it's a good it's a good line of demarcation it's a if you like baseball and are interested in like 
the the business side and the GM aspect of it. It's a good, you know, like how did they build this team? And it also does really good at showing like the resentment people get when they're trying to be the ones to change the system. Yep, mm-hmm. that's all well said. Yeah. Here's the thing about Moneyball that even though I say top five, ten baseball movies of all time, I loved it. Would watch again. Like I might watch it today. It's great. Um, it's kind of just a movie at the end. At the end of it, like apart from like you know the some of the the sound mixing is really good because you've got the stadium stuff versus underground and the way that it plays with those sounds and stuff. Pit is good. Hills good. Like the writing is the writing is excellent. But at the end, it doesn't really do anything super special, which is why I can see why it didn't really win an award. Like apart from being, it's a well made movie, but it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change the way that I think about anything or maybe apart from like rooting for the A's right after the Sox you know I mean you're a Yankee fan that's clearly established nice try I'm not a Yankee fan you are just because so, I like the movie no, pride of the Yankees right you're a Yankee fan we we kicked you out of the Red Sox nation we all took a vote it was unanimous no no yes no, we that's did not, that's not true. so I would I would say while I would argue well I would kind of agree with you that you know it does everything well but not necessarily well enough to win anything. I would argue that this year had nine Best Picture nominees and easily I could easily pick two of them off the top of my head that that don't deserve to be in the category before Moneyball. Uh, sure. I mean, I there's always we always run across that when there's more than five movies. There's always the you, 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 and you. You didn't actually need to be here. Thanks for coming. You might yeah. even actually be a very good movie, but you actually don't need to be here. Thanks for coming um um yeah but in this instance like we're 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 you know you're kind of saying like you know Moneyball is like above average now you're kicking out stuff that are just average or below no i like i would kick out extremely loud and incredibly close to make way for Moneyball if this wasn't nominated right you know because we can play we haven't played this game we have we can play this game in a we haven't played this game in a long time but what movie that's because no one knows the movies after 1950 that's correct what movies were made in 2011 that could have been nominated but weren't oh gosh here we go are you ready for this list oh yep. no just go with it the immortals or just immortals that movie with henry cavill that no one saw yeah, but yeah. me yeah i uh, saw it hey look at that um unknown in time super eight the gray source code i am number four contagion sucker Punch. oh contagion should have been nominated i found that movie super dull didn't love it you're super dull that's neither here nor there it's just uh contagion should have been nominated sucker punch should have been nominated okay keep going Three Musketeers. Uh, the... The steampunk one with Orlando Bloom. Oh, hell no. Uh, Limitless, Tower Heist, Thor, Pirates of the Caribbean 4, Green Lantern, oh. The Green Hornet, X-Men First Class, X-Men, uh, I mean Captain America First Avenger, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, um, ba -ba -ba, Transformers, Dark Side of the Moon. Should have been nominated. The Adjustment Bureau. Uh, I like that movie. I do too. Uh, Real Steel, Tin Tin, Ghost Rider, J. Edgar, Cowboys vs. Aliens, The Rum Diary, Big Mama's House, I would assume the sequel, Like Father, Like Son, the Jason the Momoa one. Conan, The Muppets. Oh, that Muppets movie is great. Okay, uh, I'm done. Tin Tin was actually nominated for Best Animated Film, if I remember correctly. Excellent. Because that, that was the CGI one. 
Yes, like was great. that was the one directed by Steven Spielberg and, and Peter Jackson produced by Peter the, Jackson, and they were going to flip flop for the sequel, which has never been made, which is really annoying because the first one was great, and I really wanted to see the second one. Um, oh, and the girl in the, the girl with the dragon tattoo, great movie. Ah, yes, that that cheerful movie. Oh, so so there you go. I've already I've already found two replacements to kick out the other two. Okay, I think I know what your next one is. Uh, let's do your fun facts. Do you do fun facts already? No, no, no. Okay, do your fun facts. And I think I know what your next one's going to be. Director Bennett Miller was so impressed by Karis Dorsey when she sung the show by Lenka during her audition that he not only cast her as the protagonist's daughter, but let her sing the twenty the 2008 song twice in the movie, which was set in 2002, sacrificing its historical authenticity. Wow. During Yeah. During a meeting with scouts discussing players, one scout dismisses a player for having an ugly girlfriend, translating this to an, a player that has no confidence. The story that an athletic scout did want a player didn't want a player because he didn't have an attractive girlfriend is true, but in real life he cited this as a meaning of bad eyesight. Okay. Arliss Howard, who plays the owner of the Boston Red Sox, played the adult version of Scotty Smalls in the Sandlot. Brad Pitt even gives the movie a nod when he mentions the great Bambino. Whoa, wait, can you say that again? Because you mentioned the Sandlot and I was only half listening. Say that one nope, more time. Nope, too late. No, no, no I'll you're gonna have to go back and listen to the episode. No. Just say it again. Something about he played. Too late. Adult, I already deleted the adult, it. The adult version of Scotty Smalls is is it the is that the guy that plays the Red Sox manager? Maybe. Or is he the? You'll never Red know Sox, now. Or is he the actual Red Sox manager? That's all I want to know. Well, the Red Sox manager is Alex Cora. You would know that okay, if you so, were a fan and not a so, Yankee fan. You, but you kicked me out. I'm not allowed to know things about the Sox anymore. I did it, know that, but now it I instantly don't. forgot it. <laughs> now I'm not allowed to know. Uh, anyway, okay, that's cool. Uh, that's fun things um top five baseball movies the sandlot anyway uh midnight in paris directed by woody allen written by woody allen starring owen wilson kathy bates adrian brody rachel mcadams Mar- marion coutelard Mar- michael sheen Corey stahl and tom hiddleston nominated for best picture directing and art direction this movie won original screenplay while on a trip to paris with his fiance's family a nostalgic screenwriter finds himself mysteriously going back to the 1920s every day at midnight meeting his literary and and film and artistic heroes. Um, I love this movie. I've seen it more times than I can count. Um, I'll say at the top of the podcast, Two. I'll say at the top of the podcast, um, Woody Allen is trash. What a terrible, terrible human being. We don't like him. We don't support his future work. Um, but you, uh, you know, I mean, he was trash at this point. He sure was. Um, but I didn't know that when I saw this movie 10 years ago. So, um, so he, he's been trash for decades, but that yeah. doesn't, uh, so, but anyway, so I've seen this movie more times than i can count um i love it oh so very much i think it is i think it's a it's it qualifies under those like it's just a really well made just a really well made movie everybody's on everybody's on top everybody's having fun everybody's having fun it's gorgeous it's got a great message and a cute little story um and it makes me very nostalgic for paris every time i watch it uh and the soundtrack slaps um tell me why you don't like this movie uh for one because it's woody allen yeah okay but just to Re- Owen dis- Wilson. Dis- disregard Woody Allen, and don't you dare slander Owen Wilson. He doesn't say uh, wow at one point in this whole movie. I'm pretty sure he does. Wow, wow. 
now. He's pretty sure he doesn't. But anyway, continue. Um, so yeah, one note is Woody Allen, and you know I can't in this instance separate the two because you know I knew he was trash at the time this movie was out. Um, aside from that, the story is just weird and dumb, and Owen Wilson kind of drags down the entire movie. It's got a really good supporting cast: Kathy Bates, uh, Rachel McAdam, uh, Marion uh, Marion and is that how you pronounce her last name? I have no idea. How it's Cotillard. No, I'm pretty sure it's not Cotillard. Um, and the premise is is original enough that it warrants like, all right, I can I can see what this movie's about, but I don't think it's executed well. <sighs> Other than, you know, it's, it's it's exactly a movie that you don't like. Like, even if it wasn't directed by Woody Allen, this is the kind of movie that you go, ugh, why isn't it over? You've been watching it for two minutes. But why isn't it over yet? You know, and I wouldn't say, like, I absolutely hate the film. I think with a better leading actor and maybe a few rewrites on the script, it's a little bit better. But overall, I just find this movie mediocre to maybe, maybe at its best of times in incredibly average oh yeah i completely disagree i think that every i think that every line i think every every line every every scene every shot pays itself off by the end of the film right from like paris in the rain all the way right to the end the opening lines of the film all the way to the very end comes full circle what he's looking for so he's a writer like writing about a nostalgia like writing about nostalgia and this is a guy that travels into the past so it's like pure nostalgia but it's not a time that he was alive so it's like his golden it's his golden age so it's a projection like it's just what he projects things to be like so it's not really what Ernest Hemingway was like it's what he thinks Ernest Hemingway was like it's not no, what but it's real because he actually went into the past but it's still his but it's still his projection of those things or it's the movie's projection of them so that's why like um so like you have Tom Hiddleston as F. Scott Fitzgerald who just keeps saying old sport all the time and he's like you know old sport it's really good to meet you old sport he did say that all the time yeah no he didn't no he didn't no i met the guy he said it all the time you didn't meet f scott fitzgerald he was dead long before you were born you don't know that i'm pretty sure i ran into him in paris when you i went have back never in been, time you've never been on a plane so that's not true i meant paris texas <laughs> yep hope you've never been to texas oh my nobody's gosh. been to texas <laughs> No. Hi, Lisa. Anyway. <laughs> um, um, uh, I mean... I, I this is like the... You just like dumb movies that figure out dumb ways to like wedge in time travel i i like, like how do you like the worst time travel movies i like dumb movies mr remember me is a good movie like I, it's a good movie i don't say it's a great movie it's it's fine i'll watch that any day of the week over this or extremely close incredibly loud or whatever that movie was that was extremely close but you know and you said it pretty incredibly loud <laughs> um so i know why you don't like it. Take Woody Allen out of it. Just like remove, just get it. Like we're going to have to watch other Roman Polanski movies too. You know, like whatever, just get those, just get them out of it. Treat the art as art. I know, but I'm just like, as the movie, as the movie stands itself, it's still in at best, incredibly average. I'm not saying like, I don't like the movie on principle because of Woody Allen. And because I knew he was trash prior to this movie being made. Like, I'm not even talking about before I've seen this movie. And yeah, we're going to have to watch other Roman 
Roman Polanski movies, are we, though? We only got, like, two seasons left. Don't we have to watch Ninth Gate? No, that wasn't nominated. <laughs> I wish it was. But see, that's a perfect example. Like, I didn't know Roman Polanski was trash when Ninth Gate came out. I do like Ninth Gate, although I've, I tried watching it lately. I don't think I have. I, think I haven't one watched of those it in so long, and I really don't want to go back to it and watch it, so I don't ruin my memory of watching exactly. it. Exactly. It's like one of those, like, I remember liking it. I don't ever want to watch it again, because I'm pretty sure it's not good. It's yeah. not as good as I remember it. Um, but I really liked uh, uh, Johnny Depp, and I think Julie Delphi plays I, the girl. I think so. It's been. I really think that was why I watched it originally. Um, so, you're right. We'll have to watch other Roman Polanski movies. And we've done a good job of saying, hey, this person's trash, but this movie is is what Correct. it is. Cor- and I'm saying George that Clooney, here, too. Just, uh, we just don't know yet. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I'm saying that here, like, yes, I personally hate this movie because of because of Woody Allen. Taking Woody Allen out of it, it's just like a typical Woody Allen movie that just shoved, you know, time travel into it. And do, it's just I mediocre. I do, I, 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 I mean, so listen, I love this movie. It's five out of five for me, but I don't think... Because you like bad time travel movies. But I don't think that it maybe stacks up against some of the other movies in this list. So just because I, like, I personally think that this is, it's beautiful it's gorgeous everybody should see it that doesn't necessarily mean that it deserves all the awards going down going down the list I'm just I think that it all cohesively flows really well together it's an it is an original script I'm sorry that all of my time travel movies don't involve like having to save the universe from robots like there are other versions yeah, of time travel that's the that only reason you go back in time is to save the universe from robots sometimes you go back in time for self-discovery like about no, time is a great movie no it's Paris is a great movie. No, it's not. <laughs> it's better than About Time. I'll give you that. Both, both starring Rachel McAdams, by the way. Like Rachel McAdams loves like unorthodox time travel movies. You got this About Time and The Time Traveler's Wife, which I haven't seen, but I can only imagine has to be better than both of those. She's also in Doctor Strange, which also does involve time traveling. We're not counting her bad choices in life just for a paycheck. Okay, I mean, you don't know her. You're not sure. Anyway. Give me some fun facts on Midnight in Paris because we still have five movies to go. Tom Hiddleston received a letter from Woody Allen along with 15 pages of the script offering him the role of F. Scott Fitzgerald. It was three sentences long. Hiddleston told Entertainment Weekly, Dear Tom, I'm making a movie in Paris this summer. I attached some pages. I would love for you to play the role of Scott. Hiddleston now has the letter framed and hanging up in his home office. I'm sure that once he also discovered that Woody Allen was trash, he took it down. I don't think he did. That also feels like people in Hollywood love Woody Allen still. That also actually really feels like a um, it feels like a like an IMDB fact where it's like it's still in his home office written 15, like written 10 years ago. Like Uh, it was actually written last week. Maybe he moved. Maybe he doesn't have a home office. Like that just like why would anybody random factoid on IMDB know that? Anyway. Why not? Please continue. Because Tom Hiddleston probably tells people about it all the time. All the time. Yep. Audrey Florette's role as 1920s party-goer hit the cutting room floor reportedly after she attempted to greet Woody Allen 
and shake his hand on the first day of shooting. Alien, Alan, notoriously weary of unsolicited approaches, recoiled, and coincidentally or not, Florette scenes were subsequently excised, probably because she wasn't related to him. All right, I added that last yeah, part. Yeah, okay, that last part. I was like, that doesn't seem right. The rest of it sounds correct, but the first, that last part was weird. Dally's intensity with visually depicting Gil with the rhinoceros is especially significant in the in that same artist specializes specialists theorize or suggest that it was maybe an early basis for a unicorn which he would one in particular for redesign for a series of through the looking glass images this includes the infamous scene and verbal exchange with alice the unicorn himself and a lion very good verbal yeah. um you know uh dolly made a lot of movies too that's what this is talking about people don't we've seen i know we've seen one i know it's crazy it's good stuff yeah. what a guy what i know so this uh, War Horse, directed by Steven Spielberg, written by Lee Hall, Richard Curtis, based on the novel by Michael Morpugo, based on the stage play by Nick Stanford, starring Jeremy Irvine, Emily Watson, David Thewis, Benedict Cumberbatch, Tom Hiddleston, and Toby Kebbell. Nominated I, for- I feel like starring in half of those people is like the most liberal use of the word. I completely agree, but you know, but there's no, you know, I got nothing. <laughs> I got the, 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 the starring War Horse. Starring a horse. <laughs> starring many horses, double as one horse um nominated for best picture cinematography music sound mixing editing and art direction this movie did not win a single award story evolves around young albert who enlists to serve in world war one after his beloved horse is sold to the cavalry albert's hopeful journey takes him out of england into the front lines as the war rages on that's a little misconception about the plot too yes it kind of the starts war doesn't with actually rage albert. on no it doesn't no it doesn't rage on but um it's really about the horse and its influence through the course of the war on a variety of different people and it starts with Albert and it ends with other people um, but it's not really about any of the cast that I just mentioned it's the horse that is the driving force of the movie I said that's why I was he's watching, in the title I was right I was watching this with my wife and about 20 minutes into the movie I was like this is just a 1950s Disney movie like a live action Disney movie like the one we watched with the deer do you remember that one where Yearly. it all the yeah, yeah um the yearling yeah exactly yeah yeah um it's basically that movie like it's even shot that way the high contrasting colors it's very crisp and bright all yearling the time. was black and white and uh you but you know what i mean you know exactly what i'm talking about actually i don't think my yearling was in black and white pretty sure mine was in color interesting uh, but both got, had a goose yes yes an angry one at that um all geese are angry yeah um honestly it was fine for me i think that like i i i was not invested in in the horse like i just wow. like i just couldn't that's what my wife said too like like i just had a hard time investing in the animal so i didn't really care too much about it traveling through these different like through these different people like you know and as fun as it was to be like oh look it's emily watson she's so talented oh david Thewis and benedict cumberbatch and tom Mendelssohn and toby kebbell they're all good everyone should love toby kebbell he's such an incredibly talented man and and he doesn't get the parts he deserves like like all of that was fine it was pretty the music was good it's john williams so why wouldn't it be it's all well and good at the end of it i just wasn't really taken with it as a whole except for some of the the actual world war one trench stuff i thought was really well done um you know as you know like spielberg war stuff is it doesn't hit normandy level good d-day level good it's a, he films it he films it quite differently that's good like like oh, the horse like like going going through all of the bar-
barbed wire and stuff and then like having one guy and toby kebble and the german guy like helping to detach the horse themselves and they flip like that was really good it was like the it was like the christmas it was like the christmas armistice but you know with a horse you know and i i enjoyed all of that like some of the commentary on war and differences and all this stuff but as a movie it was a movie you know i know exactly how to make you like this movie more okay if the horse got into a car and it transported him back in time <laughs> No, that would not make no, me like I'm it. I'm pretty sure it would. No. I'm I'm almost positive. Uh, this is, you know, it's funny. We were talking about The Ninth Gate earlier, and I'm like, oh, I really like The Ninth Gate, and I don't really want to rewatch it because I'll probably dislike it. Uh, kind of happened with War Horse. I didn't dislike it. I saw this in the theater when it first came out, and I remember really liking it. And then I watched it here and you're right it's it's fine it's it's good um the, you know, the horses it's spielberg good right yeah you know it's like that post we talk about this all the time it's post saving private ryan spielberg so he's like i'm just making a movie and it's going to be good and you will enjoy it even though it won't blow your socks off right um you know visually this you know this movie has a really good look visually i think the human cast is filled out well even though they're never there for that long you know, it's like, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch shows up, loses one battle, and that's it. We don't see him again. That's because he has to go off and be in 1917. I'm pretty sure he plays <laughs> the same guy. <laughs> I got to go lose this battle over again, over at another movie with a horse. I have to go to this part of France now. <laughs> see ya. Um... And you're right, this movie is more about the horse than it is about any of the human characters, which is fine. It's a different take on a horror, on a, on a war movie, which I do like. I give it credit for it because I think it finds a way to do it. Again, fine. Interesting enough to keep me like kind of engaged throughout the movie. But overall, you know, again, nine movies. Okay. Let's nominate this one. Five movies. This is, this is definitely close to a chopping block. Yep. Yeah. I'm, I, the, it's close to a chopping block just because and I'm just and I'm just saying that for best picture like I agree and like I said watch it if you want like it's good like it, you watch I almost would, any Spielberg movie it's I would say good. I would say watch it not necessarily watch it if you want at some point in your life watch it you, you won't I don't think you'll regret it if you do blame Tim um, but you know this isn't Jurassic Park no no it's not it's not even I don't know it's not even Lost World it's yeah I was like mediocre come on mediocre Spielberg where are you in my brain. <laughs> Lost World, you did it. Yeah. It's not even Temple of Doom. No, uh, no, it's too far. No, it's definitely not better. Yeah. <laughs> no. No, I was thinking, what was that? What's the, the, the highway chase movie that I was trying to, um, the, the truck? The Duel? The Duel, yeah. It's not even Duel. Like, that's, that's like his first movie? His first movie. Yeah, it's not even Duel. I'm, I'm glad it's not like his first movie level. Uh, actually, it's not the Duel. Steven. No, I'm pretty sure you're right. I'm pretty sure it's Duel. Here, I'll look it up. You, um, I'm looking at it right now. Duel, 1971. Huh. Directed by Steven Spielberg. Yeah. He he did like a second one then that was very similar. Um, Steven Spielberg. Duel. Sugarland Express was the one oh, that I... Oh, yes. That was the... You know, it's funny. Sugarland Express, what was in my brain? Because I was thinking of the highway scene, like with all the right. cars and stuff. But I was thinking about Duel because of the... Because right. of the tractor trailer stuff. Like, oh, you never see the driver. The It's like a machine unto itself. Huh. It's kind of like that movie with the... It's kind of like that horror movie by Stephen King with the cars that take over that's not Christine. Yeah. Except 
yeah. actually somebody's always driving the car in Christine. That's why I said it's not Christine. It's not Christine. Top five. Yeah, there's a, there's a movie about Christine. there's a movie with Stephen King about cars just randomly taking over because of aliens for some reason. Gotcha. Uh, classic. Yeah. All right. Give me some fun facts on what movie we were talking about just now. Warhorse. Tom Hiddleston recalled director Steven Spielberg giving him the most amazing director's note for his death scene. Steve, Spielberg told Hiddleston, give me your war face and the camera is going to move across and as you feel it come up in front of you, I want you to de-age yourself by 20 years. So you're 29 and when you see those machine guns, you're 9 years old. I want to see the child in you. Also, Woody Allen sucks. <laughs> he, he has this note framed above his... <laughs> <laughs> it's actually it's actually framed in it's front a, of the Woody Allen yep, movie. It's above it, yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> Hiddleston said, I just thought that was one of the most astonishing acting notes I've ever been given. That's good. See, that's why Steven Spielberg, he always gets it. So even when his movies are like, yeah, it's well made, it's good, didn't blow my socks off, but it's always good. It's because, like, he just, like, breathes good stuff. Like, he's like, yeah, here's a, here's a good note for you. I know what I'm talking yeah. about. After this became Steven Spielberg and Michael Cann's first film together edited digitally, the two swore off digital editing once again in favor of analog flatbed editing, stating that digital editing rushed their creative process too much. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can understand that because, like, you get to, like, mull things over as you're cutting and pasting and clipping and stuff. Like, it's easy to be like, nope, get rid of that. Click. And and it's out. And before you really have time to think about it, it's gone. No. Undo. Undo. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Director Steven Spielberg stated that the only digital effects used in this movie were three shots that lasted three seconds, and it was done to ensure the safety of the horse involved. Spielberg was quoted as saying, that's the thing I'm most proud of. Everything you see on screen really happened, including the um, Panzer, the uh, the horse and the barbed wire. Yeah, I figured that it was really that's see. And you can tell when you watch the movie, you're like, that's it's all real. And but for some reason, I'm not maybe because I knew it was Spielberg. Like, I'm not surprised that it was real because he had it. I mean, yeah, the guy used yet, actual so. dinosaurs. Exactly. He just went back in time and got them. But yeah, but physically, you know, but actual physically, he he always prefers the physical stuff until right until Ready Player One until recently is the yeah. the death of his career. See, I, I haven't watched it yet because I don't want to yeah, get don't. to that point and yeah and realize that. So ever like I'm not going to. I've, there there are very few Spielberg films I haven't seen, but I I and I'm I'm going to keep that list open. You know, just in case. Tree of Life, directed by Terrence Malick and written by Terrence Malick, starring Brad Pitt, Sean Penn, Jessica Chastain, and Ty Sheridan. Nominated for Best Picture, Director, and Cinematography. This movie won zero awards. The story of a family in Waco, Texas in 1956. The eldest son witnesses the loss of innocence and struggles with his parents' conflicting teachings. In true Terrence Malick fashion, there is barely a story here, and he's making philosophical manifestations using the camera. Um, and I actually kind of weirdly liked it. I thought that um, the story itself about like kind of like boys who are kind of just want their father to love them and he's just so not into loving them the way that they want to be and then, spoilers, one of them dies and the parents kind of see, like he sees the problem, he like the, he sees the problem of his fatherhood or he thinks that he loves them and then it goes back to show you how like an actual terrible father he actually was. So you're like, oh no, 
this daddy, he, he's so upset and to realize that he's like, oh no, he's only upset because he realized what a total jackwad he was the entire time. Um, and so you kind of mix that in with like the, like this cycle of life and the birth of the universe and like all of this stuff, blah, 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 all whatever. Thought it was very pretty as all Terrence Malick movies were. Um, and if, if you, if someone had to like, if someone was like, watch a Terrence Malick movie right now or die, I'd watch Tree of Life again. Like it wouldn't kill me to watch it. Um, in I fact, would it, was, it would save my life for, I assume. Um, so I just found it better than some of the other ones that we have watched. Maybe I'm also growing used to Terrence Malick's like style. Um, the first one no, I ever a, saw that's was a bad thing. I think the first one I saw was New New World. I think. Yeah. Uh, um, and that like that that one surprised me as a child watching it, being like, "Oh man, I loved that Disney Pocahontas movie. Can't wait to see the a more realistic version." <laughs> womp womp. What is happening? Um, yeah, I thought Jessica Chastain was great as she always is. Brad Pitt was good. Sean Penn was good for the limited time that he was in it. You know, the kids were good. Again, take Terrence Malick's a take it or leave it kind of guy. I apparently can take it more than I used to. I thought the use of music was was very strong. Good pieces, of, good classical pieces of music. Um, and the I don't know if this is a fun fact or not, but all of the universe stuff. I think I texted you this. All the stuff that you see in the universe, like you know, gas giants and like nebulas and all that stuff. All of that was made without a computer. It's all like actual gas and paper and like colors and dyes and all the stuff. And it's the same technology they they use to create the time warp in 2001: A Space Odyssey. So that was very cool to look at that and know that it was a practical effect and not and not a computer. Um, and so that so like that was cool. But if I didn't know that, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed looking at it nearly as much as I did. So I mean, I knew that, and I still didn't really enjoy looking at it. Sure. I mean, yeah, anything that forces you to think even slightly remotely about the world, you're like, this, it's fine. It's okay. It's no good. No, this makes me think that I'd never taken acid, and that if I wanted to understand this movie, I should probably do that. Absolutely. I can also understand that perspective immediately. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me more about this movie. Uh, I could, but I mean, I would use movie in quotes, because this is just a screensaver. <laughs> you know, it's weird, though, actually, but I thought the parts that, like, Jessica Chastain narrated, and it was, like, the nebulas and stuff, that was yeah. the best part. Those were the best parts of yeah, the movie because it's, it's the visuals, and that's the best part of any Terrence Malick movie. Yeah. Like, once he actually has to deal with a story to, you know, end the movie eventually, he runs out of, like, it's like, uh, give that to the second direct, <laughs> give that to the second unit people. Mm-hmm. No, I, <laughs> he's like, I've, I've said what I need to say, but we've only yeah. been filming for five days. I've said what I needed yep. to say. And it's still a five-hour movie. This one was actually pretty short for Terrence Malick. Yeah, um, I thought it moved it. at a good clip. Yeah, I, I, I liked it. It's hard to tell people to watch a Terrence Malick movie <laughs> unless you're like, prepared unless for you're talking what... to Terrence Malick. Yeah, or maybe, or he's probably one of those like I never watch my own movies. Like, okay, yeah, I wouldn't either. <laughs> like, I, I would not blame you, sir. Yeah, I, don't, I just, it's a take. It, Terrence Malick's always a take it or leave it. You have to be into the style to really know it and appreciate it. And I was a little bit more into this one than I had his other ones. But if uh, you like that. movies with dialogue, this well, is sometimes, not the movie for you. Yeah, but sometimes I don't. Like, that's okay. Like, you know, so, like a movie is both visual and auditory, and it can lean more towards the auditory than visual, or the it can lean more towards the visual than the auditory. That's okay. Like, eh. I see people talk all the time. Show me something I've never seen before. That's what a good movie is for. Yeah, this didn't do that either. I've never seen a nebula before. That, that was pretty good. Mm. But it wasn't a real nebula. I've never seen Waco, Texas 
1956. That was pretty good, too. <laughs> you don't know if that was Waco, Texas in 1956. No, I didn't look it up, and nor do I think they hopped in a car in Paris at midnight and time-traveled there. So See? Yeah. Um, I mean, this is just a documentary without narration, it's which is not a good documentary. There is a story that, like, it, you know, there is, like, it, it, it's not, it's, it's all there as allegory, or it's all there as symbolism, right? It's not real there it's not really like uh they're facsimiles of of uh, of a family right they're not they're not real because they just want it to be they Terrence Malick always wants it to be like generic enough that any it can be anybody right because he's telling these grand stories on a universal scale um so yeah even though it's very specific to 1956 Texas you know but give me some give me some fun facts on tree of life or try to give me some fun facts on tree of life so the special effects supervisor Douglas Trumbull. Uh, he was responsible for the visual effects of 2001 A Space Odyssey to create the visual effects for the film using bygone optical and practical methods. This marks the first feature film Trumbull has provided the effects for in 29 years, his last being the notoriously overrated Blade Runner. Oh, so he, wait, so he hadn't made a visual effect since Blade Runner and came back for this? Right. Wow. So here's the thing, though. I'm with you on Blade Runner. I'm not a huge fan of Blade no Runner. No one is. That's not true. People always like the essence. The essence. The three three people who actually like Blade Runner. Fine. But I, I think, but I do think that the visuals in Blade Runner are outstanding. Oh, absolutely! Like the, the world of Blade Runner, yeah, yeah, is cool. yeah. The the story itself, it's its, its presentation is 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 for other people and not for me. However, visually, Ridley Scott, incredible. Ridley Scott is a better version of Terrence Malick, where he makes really good looking movies that, while overall always kind of disappoint, are still tolerable. Um, I think that's movie dependent for me for Ridley Scott. I really love some Ridley Scott movies and I really loathe some other ones so I, I can ba- I'll back you up on that. The critic Jim Emerson got word of what Tarek Malik intended the sequence of Dinosaurs to mean by way of the visual effects supervisor in charge of that very sequence who is L- Michael L. Fink. Emerson described what he learned from Fink. The premise of the four shot scene was to depict the birth of consciousness what some have called the birth of compassion. The first moment in which a living creature made a conscious decision to choose what Michael described as right from wrong, good from evil, or perhaps a form of altruism over predatory instinct. Yeah, see, that's very cool. It doesn't come across that way, it, like, all these years later, because the entire time, all I could think of was how bad it looked. Like, But it's a great idea. It's <laughs> Jurassic a, Park looked better. Yeah, it did. It did. Yeah, but it's okay. <laughs> and what has to be one of my favorite uh, fun facts in a while, some American theater set up signs warning moviegoers about the enigmatic and non-linear narrative of the movie following some confused walkouts and refund demands in the opening weeks. Fantastic. This movie <laughs> makes no sense. Give me my money back. Like, sir, this is a library. Like, the movie theaters across the street. <laughs> sir, you bought a you bought a ticket for Terrence Malick movie. You got what you deserved. Yeah, I'm sorry that the trailer sold you something different than you thought. Welcome to go into the movies. Next. Like, oh goodness. Alright. Alright, three movies Movies, three movies left. Let's talk about Hugo, directed by Martin Scorsese, written by John Logan, based on the book by Brian Selznick, uh, starring Asia Butterfield, Chloe Grace Moretz, Ben Kingsley, Christopher Lee, and Sasha Baron Cohen. Uh, 
nominated for Best Picture, Directing, Adapted Screenplay, Editing, Costume Design, and Music. This movie won Cinematography, Sound Mixing, Sound Editing, Visual Effects, and Art Direction. Set in 1931 Paris, an orphan living in the walls of a train station gets wrapped up in the mystery involving his late father in an automaton. How much did you d- dislike this movie? I absolutely love this movie. Oh, okay. Sorry. The, you're, the, you were looking kind of up at the ceiling, so it looked like you were like, oh god, I can't wait to tear this movie apart. Or oh, no, no. I I uh, absolutely love this movie. Oh, shoot, This okay, is a better I, version. I love, yeah. This is a better version of Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. It kind of is. Yes, actually. Very <laughs> Both much. having to do with keys. Yeah, I love when Scorsese's like, I love personally, I think the best Scorsese films are the ones where he's like, I'm not making a movie about the mob. I'm going to try something different. <laughs> like, I think when he actually reaches and challenges himself, that, like, that's, I think, and this is, this is top. This is just a giant love letter to movies mm-hmm. and and i love that you know and the, film preservation and film preservation you know because the it's a mystery if you can watch it and just watch it and be like oh look this you know the you know there's an old man and the, he made movies and stuff and like blah 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 all this stuff or you could be like this is kind of film history it's very meta because like george malaise actually did disappear at at a certain point and they thought he was dead and then he was actually found again so like by that guy writing a book and stuff so they basically just inserted the story of this orphan in these like these two kids like figuring out a mystery and like you know and almost like Sasha Baron Cohen like on the case to like capture the kid living in the walls you know but like it's kind of true it's almost like historically a little bit true and I just think that that's so fun it's aesthetically gorgeous plays a lot with browns and golds and blues and there's a there's a golden nostalgia to it much in the way that like Midnight in Paris plays with but it's just dialed up to 11 but better it's just well it's because they live in the, it's all the past so everything is just everything is reflective of that time it makes you want to watch a trip to the moon and be like like this is history this everyone should see a trip to the moon if, if nobody's ever seen it this makes you want a trip to the moon uh, want to watch a trip to the moon until you start watching a trip to the moon which i think i'm about six minutes in and i started that like three months ago <laughs> well i mean <laughs> It, it is, is on Amazon Prime, by the way. It is on Amazon Prime. Uh, straight to the moon. It is Trip to the Moon, right? To the yeah. Moon. I didn't make that up. Yeah. Nope. Trip to the Moon, 1902. Yeah. So I, I just thought I, I had only seen bits and pieces of it, but I had read the book in college, actually. A friend of mine was an early um, elementary ed um, teacher, or in at the time she was in school, and they had used it in class for something. And so the book is like, it goes back and forth between, um, it goes back and forth between art and prose and so like you'll read a couple of pages of prose and then it'll switch over to pages and pages and pages of art so it's kind of like a mixture of a graphic novel and a regular novel except there's no word bubbles or panels it's just whole pages like splash pages of art telling the story um and it is it was awesome it's so good and i just think the movie the movie really captures the the like the beauty of the story and and the um the beauty of the story and the book so yeah uh, the, the acting is really good I really like Sasha Baron Cohen obviously Ben Kingsley's Ben Kingsley and Chloe Mortez Grace is, is Chloe Mortez Grace who is criminally criminally under awarded I agree she's excellent always excellent is it Grace Morte- Moretz or Moretz Grace it's Grace Moretz 
right? Uh, yeah, it's however it's listed. Grace Moretz, yeah. Yeah, I, it's a lot of, it's a lot of names is, is essentially what it is. Yeah, but you also get Emily Mortimer in there really quick and yep. she's always As a blast. the flower girl, yeah, yep. she's really good. Um, the, the biggest question, the biggest question I have in this movie and the biggest mystery in this movie that doesn't get solved is what happened Hugo, to Ray Winstone? Well, he died. We know yeah, that. Know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Hugo lives in the walls of the train station uh, and he went, you know, he went to live there after his father died because Ray Winston is um, his uncle who lived in the walls of the train station and kept the clocks running. Um, and then Ray Winston dies and Hugo, either he went missing, like he went and drowned or Hugo kind of like pushed his body into the river so no one knew. Um, but the question becomes, Hugo's been running the clocks in the train station presumably with nobody knowing Ray Winston was dead. Where is Ray Winston's check going and how is Hugo cashing it? Excellent point. Um, I will come up with two answers. Um, one, they, well, they definitely think he's still alive because there's that thing where, like, remember that he no, like, yeah, yeah. the they know or whatever yeah. and he's like, yep. is that you? You drunk up there? Blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to say they paid him in cash and, or, no, Just that's left it. it at the he's, door. No, he's not cashing the checks that, or whatever. He's, he, because, because he, that's why Hugo has to steal to eat. And so, like, so the money. Well, no, he so, steals to eat because that's what you do in Paris around the turn of the century. No, no. That's not the real answer. Jean Valjean did it. Yeah, that's not the real answer. Um, also, this is 19... This is the 19... What? This is the 10s, the 20s, by the time that we're in this story, right? Because Still the, around the turn of the century. Trip to the trip to the moon was 1902, and he's, like, George Malays has, like, disappeared. Um, but anyway, that's not that's not the point. He's not, obviously, not collecting the cash, and nobody, like, your employer doesn't come after you if you're not cashing their checks. They're like, oh, you don't want the money? Whatever. No one cares. We'll keep it. Um, but, yeah, the special effects are really good. The, the It is some of the best... 3D work ever in a movie. I agree. This is actually a movie that you're like, oh, it was made for 3D. I see the camera yeah. is moving in such a way that it it, it wants you yeah. to, to like be Avatar. It was filmed specifically in 3D and it wasn't digitally converted to 3D Ugh, like so that. many other movies. I hate. That. Yeah, because it's just not as it, you can tell the difference. What even just 3D in of itself, like it always darkens the movie because it's a sh- like because you got to wear the shades and all that stuff, but. This this movie, um, it's so bright because it's designed to be seen even with the shades. Yeah. So you don't really miss out on any of the the detail or the, the gorgeousness of it. Give me some fun facts on, on Hugo. We still have two movies left. After screening, after a screening that James Cameron attended, he called the movie a masterpiece and told director Martin Scorsese it was the best use of 3D he had seen, including his own movies. Not necessarily true, but I like the sentiment. The opening track shot of the city ending at the train station was the first shot designed. Each frame required 1,000 computers to render and completion took a year. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. The driving force behind this movie was Martin Scorsese's younger daughter Francesca Scorsese who presented him a copy of the Brian Selznick book as a birthday gift, hoping that he would make a movie out of it someday. It was also her suggestion to have the movie presented in 3D. Rather than having the 3D accomplished by post-conversion, Scorsese decided to have it shot in native format. 
that. So together with visual effects supervisor Robert Legato and cinematographer Richard Robinson, they spent before filming about two weeks at the Cameron Pace Group doing Crash Course on filming in that format. Cool, cool. Yeah, this is easily one of like the this is easily one of the top five uh, 3D movies. You got Avatar, you got this. Uh, the original House of Wax with um, Vincent Price mm-hmm. is is easily the best pre-Avatar 3D movie. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. I I need to know more about that at another time because um, I I love old horror movies. So and uh, I'm down for watching it in a new way. And I agree with you, Avatar, because Avatar again, especially made for that. I also blame Avatar for the 3D onslaught that we well yeah that's what through. happened but, yeah yeah because but. it was the greatest film of all time everyone was like we got to make it in 3d so you yeah. want us to shoot it in 3d no too expensive just just do the half one people won't know yeah. we know yeah the help directed by tate taylor written by tate taylor based on the novel by Catherine stockett starring emma stone viola davis octavia octavia spencer bryce dallas howard jessica chastain and allison janney nominated for best picture actress for davis supporting actress for chastain it won best supporting actress for octavia spencer uh, the film is about an aspiring author uh, uh during the civil rights movement of the 1960s who decides to write a book detailing the african-american maid's point of view on the white families for which they work and the hardships they go through on a daily basis this movie came up has come up in uh the past year or so because of the uh, black lives matter movement and how it's um it's a very it is in a lot of ways a white savior story you know one in which the the white woman comes to save uh, save the day and the movie does kind of confront that um it does confront that line of thinking um in the movie itself you know but at you know but like who benefit like who benefits and like who comes off better or worse and all that stuff so like i loved this movie like i've seen it many many times it's a really i thought it was really well made movie and uh, but like hearing different levels of commentary on it and and everything like that it's it's hard to watch this movie knowing viola davis has like said like i shouldn't have made this movie like because it's you know it's like it goes against you know strong african-american like strong african-american values and characters and so i i don't like i have a hard i have a hard time talking about it now what 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 do you think i'm not going to argue with viola davis because good point she she is in a she is in a much different position than i am to view this movie and it's through a it's through a lens that i can never i can never even imagine having to view this movie through so i'm like i won't argue with her stance on it what she feels about it and how she sees it i will say from my own experience that i believe that while it is the 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 typical white savior movie I like this movie. I also feel like the, the maids in the movie have more character than than they might be given credit for. I believe they have more. I believe that they have uh, more strength in standing up and doing this book than than some people might give them credit for. And I say that because you know that you know the scene in which Viola, uh, the Octavia Spencer's character says. Like she gives them the she gives them the story of what she did to her ex boss, and she's like, if we put that in the book, then she'll make sure that no one believes that this is about this town, and we'll be safe because they were worried about they were worried about retaliation on the maids. Mm-hmm. So even though the white person's putting out the book, 
I I still believe like the maids are are very courageous and and are definitely the heroes of this story and they each get something out of it like each are using the other as a vehicle. Yes and yes and no. And I, again, I'm, that's just my I'm, viewpoint. I'm totally with you. I do think that is right. That I think that they are the driving force of the movie. And uh, so I have the quote here where she says she said to MK, I have it in my fun facts actually. Oh okay. So um so I won't read it here. But I I think you're absolutely right but it like it ends up working out it doesn't end up working totally well for everybody white or black right because like yes emma stone like creates this you know creates this you know with with the help of the maid she creates this book it helps her get a job she leaves the south for new york is what she wants all this stuff but she's also ostracized in her own community she's basically like you know like she she her friends hate her she's like she's completely like she has to leave for what she's done even though it does line up with like her intent it's not like she doesn't get away unscathed you know octavia spencer's character you know she's you know teaching jessica chastain's character how to cook and you know and there's like this you know equilibrium between them where jessica chastain's character doesn't care about racial divides or anything like that she's just not who she is she it's just we're just you know here we are we're people and i'm going to sit at this table because that's the right thing to do because she again is also ostracized in her own community of these she's also a transplant she's not from correct yeah she's not from the area but you know there's also this there's also this thing about you know her not being accepted herself right and that's right, really right, what right. this whole movie's about it's about acceptance who do we accept and at what time and all of this stuff and and so but it things that work out well for things that work out well for Minnie Octavia Spencer's character but by the end of the story and most people have seen the help you know like Viola Davis like puts herself out there to like you know for herself for Emma Stone for Minnie like all this stuff and and she loses her job and that's the end of the movie and so like where it kind of works out for everybody you also have this central character who's like maybe i'll be uh, a writer and that's that's kind of that's kind of it. And yes she like stands up for herself and like there there are good aspects to it but like there it is a it, it's a pull the movie is not i don't think the the movie from my own perspective is not in it doesn't want to be racist like it's not that's not the intention of the film right very very clearly um mm-hmm. that's not that's not what it is um but i can see how it can be read that way i don't think it's being read as racist i think it's just being read as like well white people are trying to solve racism you know without mm-hmm. really solving racism so i don't believe i don't believe in and i'm not going to speak for, for her but i honestly don't believe in her in her uh, quotes i don't believe she thinks that the movie is racist no i just think she she, thinks yeah yeah she just thinks that the movie the vehicle of the movie could have been done better yeah i have it here where she says that uh, even though it's in your fun facts this is a thought um hollywood is more invested in the idea of what it means to be black but it's catering to a white audience the white audience at the most can sit and get an academic lesson uh into how we are then they leave the movie theater and they talk about what it meant they're not moved by who we were um is what she is what she says and so it, it just it's this it, it's the um, it, it's the problem but that's kind of difficult that's and again like that i think that's 
difficult to to say because like I'm invested in the mate. Yes, it is. It could be. It could be a generalization, but I think the point is that like it's not a movie about the maids. It's a movie about Skeeter, like with the maids, right? It's the it's the insert white character that also needs to be that also needs to be there for white audiences to be like, oh well, yeah, okay, yeah. And of course, oh, that's, I, that's not everybody, and it's right. Not and I everywhere. I agree with that. Unfortunately, that's unfortunately that's the best way to convey this to a general audience. Uh, so so like I can understand why people dislike it when it happens, but I can also say like unfortunately like this is this this is kind of what needs to get done in order for some audience to really get the movie and to get with to kind of sympathize with what you're going for. It's not right that it has to be done that way. It shouldn't have to be done that way. But if it gets more people on your side, is it is it better than than nothing? Sure. And I think that, you know, this of course this interview came this interview um I'm pretty sure it came out after um the protests last May or two Mays ago. So we're looking at it through kind of this um you know what's being done now and then I mean when this interview happened this movie is this movie's ten years old. You know, so like where have we come in ten years from this movie? I think those conversations also we, have to happen. From ten years from this movie we did Green Book. Oh, yeah, and look how well yeah. that was received. Yeah great. Yeah good choice. Again yeah. I like the movie and again like the, like is this actually based on a true story? Like is this um I know, I know this that, is I know this story is based on a book, but is the book based on actual events? The book is based off of um some personal events from the life of the author. I've read the book Catherine Stockard, but I don't but like she didn't herself like write a book about me okay. blah blah blah. I don't okay. know that. Whereas that, Green Book true. was was more based on this trip the that actually the, happened. Right, the lives of right. these two people. Okay. Um cuz that's the one thing I give Green like I like Green Book and that's the one thing I'll give in Green Book's defense like if this is what happened, this is what happened. Like, you can't change it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I mean, so taking that aside, I think this movie is superbly well acted. Emma Stone. Stone. There's like 14 Emmas. Like, I know. We need to start giving them numbers at this point. Um, Emma Stone does a decent job. She's her typical dorky Emma Stone. Uh, Jess- Jessica Chastain, who is really weird looking as a blonde. She's amazing. I mean, she's she's great in everything, but this is like you forget it's Jessica Chastain. Yeah, because she's blonde. Yeah, like she's she's good in this movie, um, even though she's blonde. <laughs> no, but um, I mean, but she, but I mean, like she she changes her voice, the way that she walks, like like it's a whole character transformation. It is not just oh, her hair is not red. You no, know, it's funny. Well, it's funny because I sent a picture while I was watching this movie. I paused it and sent a picture of Jessica Chastain in her like blonde hair and makeup and all that to our friend Lauren, and Lauren's response was, oh my god, she looks like a stereotypical Republican. And I'm like, well, this movie's about the South. So, so it's, yeah, you're not, not far off. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Jessica Chastain's good. Octavia Spencer, Viola Davis, really good. Um, it's funny just seeing, like, how different Viola Davis looks now, even the, even compared to ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because um, we've seen her in two, there are two movies she's in even this this year, but yeah. she's amazing. Viola Davis, she's, she, she's just yeah, absolutely amazing. She's really good. Bryce Dallas Howard as like great the evil always, always quality yeah. Bryce Dallas Howard yeah the evil uh, sorority girl there um, but yeah this movie is definitely good give it a watch yeah it you know it's I not it's it, not it, the best use of the way to kind of move to to bring the movement forward.
hard, but if it gets if it gets you to think about it and then maybe seek out better stuff, then it is worth it. Yep, and I, it, it, in some ways it falls into a similar category as To Kill a Mockingbird, right? It's um, you know, like it, you're you're looking at it from a particular this you know you're looking at events through a particular lens, and we should start focusing that lens in a different area. But you know, it doesn't that doesn't maybe discredit all of the work that had been done before. And Davis yeah. ha- has has said she's like we had a great time making this movie. She doesn't. She's really trying hard not to disparage the movie itself. She's like everyone was great. Everyone was very nice. There's something. There's something to be entertained by across the board. But we can do better than this now. So let's let's start working. Let's start doing that. But yeah. Um. Let's um. Give me some fun facts. Although it's never mentioned in the movie how Eugenia got the nickname Skeeter, it is revealed in the book that when she was born, her thin, leggy appearance caused her older brother to remark that she looked like a Skeeter, a mosquito. That's cute. That's funny. Yeah. Despite an Oscar nomination, Viola Davis has expressed regret about her role in the film, apparently concerning concurring with critics of its white savior narrative. Davis played Albine Clark, one of the black maids in 1963 Mississippi, whose stories are told by a young white woman in a book exposing the everyday racism they face. In the interview in the New York Times, Davis cited the help as a role she regretted. I just felt that at the end of the day that it wasn't the voices of the maids that were heard. I know Albeline, I know Minnie, they're my grandma, they're my mom, and I know that if you do a movie where the whole premise is, I want to know what it feels like to work for white people and bring up children in 1963, I want to hear how you really feel about it. I never heard that in the course of the movie. See, that I agree with. Like, I think if this movie, if this movie was more about the stories they were telling, then you don't have that in this movie. Mm-hmm. But this movie, I think, is more of the story of them coming together. I would also really love a movie where we just get the stories that the that these women told. You know, one of my favorite parts of the movie are are when we have a montage of them telling the stories to Skeeter and like how, you know, some were really, you know, some were really bad and how, you know, one woman was willed to her daughter, mm-hmm. you know, but I also liked how we also got the the other side of it. Like we have that, we have the really elderly one who's like, I used to travel, you oh, know, the, I used the, to the work to work. bought the land, right. Yeah, the yeah. Do- you know, I used to cut across this farm and one time the farmer showed up with a shotgun and is like, if I ever cross there again he would shoot me and my employer bought that piece of land telling the farmer he was going to field it but it was just to make my life a little bit easier which is great and I'm glad that kind of got included too because it's so easy to just do like like the, the bad stuff which I kind of understand is kind of the point to show like the system doesn't work but it also goes to show like it's not everyone thank God mm-hmm. yep. um, one thing we forgot to mention like at the end of the movie yeah uh, Viola Davis loses her job. Skeeter also sends like, Skeeter also takes the profits from the book and sends it out to all the maids. Like, Correct. she splits it up. And I think she, they got like $43. So I really like the scene of like her and Viola Davis jumping up and down in 1963 <laughs> saying we're rich, we're rich. Yeah, which is also like part of the saddest part of it when they get $43 and they're like we're yeah. rich. Like, oh heavens. Yeah. In the scene where Hilly drives to Skeeter, Hilly is drinking a beer while driving. As bad as that was, Hilly might not have been breaking the law. Mississippi is the only state where it is perfectly legal for adults 21 and over to drink and drive as long as their blood alcohol does not exceed 0.08. Assuming Holly's point uh, blood alcohol was under the legal limit, she was not doing anything illegal. Wow. And that is just a sad commentary on the state of Mississippi. Wow, that's uh, 
that's that's a something. Okay, was that three? Yeah, yep, yeah. Okay, <sighs> all right, we did it. <sighs> Last movie, The Artist by Michael, uh, directed by Michael Hasenvicius, uh or Michel Hazenvicius, um, depending on where you're from. Also written by by him, uh, starring uh, Jean Dujardin, Bernice Bijot, John Goodman, James Cromwell, and Penelope Ann Miller. Nominated for supporting actress for Bijot, uh, original screenplay, cinematography, editing, and art direction. This movie won Best Picture, Best Actor for Dujardin, Directing, Costume Design, and Music. The story revolves around an e- uh, egomaniacal film star develops a relationship with a young dancer against the backdrop of Hollywood's silent era. The um, I would say that the the twist or the gimmick of the film is that it is also a silent film um, taking place in the silent era just about the onset of sound talkies uh, in movies and like and he's so adamantly against the introduction of this new technology like he's like no it's going to ruin the art form it's going to do this like most Hollywood was right exactly but what's so crazy is that that's a thing that is like that like just keeps going and I was watching this movie I was like this is so typical of a best winner it takes place in Hollywood it's about making movies it's like it's a period piece it's it has a fun it has a gimmick like it it like does it has all it's the got things. a dog that does a little dance it a little do, bit with has, the dog it has all the things that the the academy committee goes yeah this is the good stuff this is why we love making movies let's give it the awards now to steal your phrase that being said i had never seen this before and i loved it i thought it was i thought it was great I yeah it's a really good movie it's a really good movie it's i mean we watched original silent films and i thought <laughs> that, you know for this show and i thought it plays in line with some of the best because it does i think it does a really good job at moving everything forward and it it actually it favors pantomime and movement over over cut, over over uh, cue cards over the yeah. text cards yep. and so like you really you can just watch it and have a good time the music spot on Jardin is amazing like because he carries the movie like he has to like everybody else is good in it you know like you know but he and Bejo they they're the ones that like they have to sell what they're doing on screen almost all the time they're almost never on screen um, and I just uh, I just like I like what it's about the resistance to change but then it like kind of inserting itself anyway and then where does that go and what do you do with it and i just i thought it was really magical like i I can see i can absolutely understand why it won best picture and if you haven't seen it or if you're one of those people that walked out of tree of life because it wasn't told in a linear fashion i can see why that like people would be like hollywood doesn't get us they're just picking movies that aren't like aren't for no i can't i mean i would i would agree that some people might not like this because it is a silent movie i would i would caution you on trying to equate that with tree of life no but you know what i mean like if it's not like by the books regular like i saw it with i i it made a billion dollars you know then therefore it's best picture you know like it's like that kind of that thinking that mentality like just just because it wasn't 
just because it didn't make a billion dollars doesn't mean that it's the best movie of the year. Right, because I would argue that there's only been one movie that's made a billion dollars that was Best Picture, and Titan- that is Avatar. I was going to say Titanic, but it didn't make a billion dollars. Yeah. Did Avatar yeah. didn't win Best... No, it did win Best Picture, we're, didn't it? We're not going to discuss that, because that's coming up on a different episode. But not and oh, season. man, oh, man, wait for that episode. Is that That's, wait next, for se- that's next season, right? I, I hope so, because I really want to rewatch Avatar before the sequels come out. Um, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. 2011? Possibly. No, I mean, no, it's 20... It's 2010. We still have two seasons to go. It's oh, our last, it's man. the last season. Well, it's a good way to finish off the 2010s. Oh, yes. I remember this year. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Yep. Wait. Wait for that episode. Oh, boy. I will. Wait well, for I, it. I will literally have to. But anyway, yeah, yeah. the artist is, I thought, it was just phenomenal. Yeah. It was actually the um, first one that I watched out of all of these movies. It set a really good tone for watching <laughs> the rest of these movies. I will say that uh, you criminally, criminally left out the best part of this movie, and that is Bitsy. Tell me more. Bitsy. Lois Lane. Oh, Bitsy Tulloch. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She, yeah, she's in like... She's Doesn't in matter. Like three best seconds. part of the movie. Okay. Best part of the movie. She, she's in like three seconds. You're uh, in three seconds. I wish I was. What a movie to um, be I in. I also like how you could say like the silent film thing was a gimmick and it, yeah, it was. It, it gimmicks but not the, I gimmicks like, not the right word, but you know what I, I mean. Yeah. I like the way that it's used in this movie because it's about the silent era of movies. Yes, I do too. I and also not just love... like not just like a random movie and we decided to make it as a silent picture. Correct. I also love that it slowly introduces sound into the movie in real life and that's like it like plays with his mind because he doesn't know what's going on and so there's like a so I said it's very meta and it like the movie yeah. plays within itself uh, and that's like I just it was so well thought out and executed. Absolutely. If you can I don't want to say stand watching but if you can watch a silent movie and it's it's 90 minutes it's not like it's a Terrence Malick 20 hour movie if you can watch a silent movie definitely give this movie a shot if you're on the fence give the movie a shot if you're absolutely hating silent movies you sir are what's wrong with America correct correct indeed okay yeah. so before we get to the rewindies you can find us on Academy um, we have fun facts before oh that. gosh I'm so sorry please please continue. and these are some of the most fun facts ever because they actually deal with stuff in the movies. The film was shot with 22 frames per second. When played at a standard 24 frames per second, the action becomes slightly accelerated. Most silent films were shot with 14 to 24 frames per second, which makes many of them appear faster in motion when played on modern projection equipment at 24 frames per second. When the film, when sound films were introduced, the frame rate was standardized at 24 frames per second to make it possible to sync the sound with the images. Stop yawning. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. That was actually really interesting. I, I like when people play with frames per second. Yeah. Like, they actually, did, this is not a fun fact for this, but did you see that there's a going to be a segment in Black Adam that's shooting at 960 frames per second? Ha! Take that, Hobbit! Yeah, right. Yeah. You thought your what 60 frames per second yeah. were cool? <laughs> yeah. Get I didn't this. even know that. Yeah. yeah. Alright. Uh, the character of George Valentine is based on two silent film stars, Douglas Fairbanks and Jean Gilbert. Both actors starred in silent movie Swashbucklers and 
both saw their careers decline with the introduction of sound in films. In Gilbert's case, his squeaky voice is often rumored to have caused his decline in the talkies, but in fact, his clashes with studio head Louis B. Mayer were more to blame. Both Gilbert and Fairbanks starred in occasional sound films, but never achieved the success they had known in the silent era. Gilbert died of alcoholism in 1936 at the age of 36, and Fairbanks died of a heart attack brought on by incessant smoking in 1939 at the age of 56. That's crazy. To, yeah. To, like, how much were you drinking to die at 36 of, like, alcoholism? Yeah. The movie was shot in 1.331 Academy Ratio, just as in silent film days, since director-writer Mikel, whatever his last name is, considered it perfect for actors because it gives them a presence, a power, a strength. They they occupy all the space of the screen. Cool. I mean, it's true. It's, yeah. See, that's a, that's a good one, again, where this succeeds, right? Because it's not just like, it's what it's the aspect it's not ratio, just, it's the right. frame per second. It's like, like it, doing it all mimics the, the old Hollywood perfectly. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. Okay. All right. So now you can find us on Academy Rewind on Twitter uh, and Gmail and that's it um and you can um you can find me at timothy pg 13 on twitter rate and review us on itunes and all other places podcasts can be found find all other thought bubble audio shows at thoughtbubbleaudio.com and of course support us at patreon.com slash thought bubble audio palmer it's time for the 2012 rewindies here are the rewindies okay so uh we do supporting we do all the categories we can only pick movies um that were nominated this year as best picture category this year we are adding best director um and that's going to be different so palmer get ready for that um uh you'll have time to think about it because it's going to be the second to last award and i'm going to say that if you having problems figuring out what what's the difference between best picture and best director um the best picture is the like some of its whole parts but the director you'd say like like that good story about Spielberg like giving that piece of like giving that piece of direction or um extremely loud and incredibly close like dealing with like a lead that is only nine years old like something that like the director had to like confront and overcome this bit of challenging piece of filmmaking and they did that part and they did that part really well Does that makes sense give it to the best picture got it okay sure do whatever you want um I always do I know best Supporting actor, I'm going to give to Max von Sydow for Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. I am going to give it to Max von Sydow? Am I really going to give it to Max von Sydow? Yep, that's where I... (laughs) <laughs> am I am I really going to give it to Max Von? Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> when all of a sudden you realize that there aren't a lot of supporting characters, that it's really with any kind yeah, of yeah. Like, because I wouldn't chunky... call like because while he's not the main character, I don't think I would call Ben Kingsley and Hugo supporting. No, he's not a support. No, he's not supporting. He's yeah, yeah. So <laughs> uh, hilarious. Best supporting actress. I'm going to give to Jessica Chastain for the help. <sighs> Yeah, I hate agreeing with you, but that is definitely that is yeah, definitely see, the right choice. And Octavia Octavia Spencer won originally, and she's amazing. She's so she's so good. However, I've seen her play similar part, like sim, that similar personality many times mm-hmm. in other places. Where I've, this was an actual transformation for Jessica Chastain. Yeah, so I, yeah, I think that that she she deserves the award. Production design, I give to Hugo. Uh, production design is definitely Hugo. Costume design for Hugo. The hell. 
help. Good. Okay. Makeup and hairstyling to War Horse. Yeah, that that was uh, some good makeup and hairstyling on that it, horse. It, so. That horse, he's very quaffed. <laughs> the um, the help. Okay, the help. Uh, best music to the artist. Uh, best music I would give to Hugo. To Hugo. Excellent. Visual effects I give to Warhorse. Yeah, just because they were practical. They were all real, baby, except yep. for those three seconds. He can't, yeah. he can't not. And I was giving it to you. I was giving that award to them before I knew that. <laughs> um, cinematography I give to Hugo. Uh, I give to Hugo as well. That's good. You know, honestly, though, when you say that stuff about the artist with, like, the 24 frames and the, the aspect ratio and all that stuff, I'm like, it's close. That's really oh, yeah. close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, really close. Uh, editing, I give to the Descendants. I would give to the artist. To the artist, good. Um, sound, I give to Hugo. The artist. Okay. Actor, I give to uh, Jean uh, Dujardin for the artist. Uh, I'm going to give it to Brad Pitt for Moneyball. Okay, good stuff. Actress, to Viola Davis for the help. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that is that is the correct one. Yeah, whenever she's nominated, it's the correct one. Like it's very rare when it's not the correct. To be one. fair, up until I rewatched The Help, it was going to be uh, Sheen Woodley. Oh yeah, she's for the she's real good. Yeah. yeah, she's excellent. Yeah, uh, best writing I give to The Descendants. <sighs> yeah, The Descendants. Yeah, it's good. I hate we're agreeing so much. I know. You know, it's funny we did, especially so after much spending like show. two hours of this movie, of this <laughs> show. Not <laughs> uh, best director. I'm going to give to. My Michael Hazan Vicious for the artist. I'm going to give to Martin Scorsese for Hugo. For Hugo. And best picture, I give to Hugo. And best picture, I give to the art. No, I give it to Hugo. It's, it's, Hugo. Hugo. it's Hugo. It's Hugo. The artist, though, like, I don't disagree with the Academy's original choice. However, for us, it's Hugo. Um, At the time, I championed the artist because everyone was like, wow, it's a silent film. Why? Uh, but when it came down to it, I I hadn't watched Hugo yet. I really wanted it to be Moneyball. Um, oh, sure. So the fact that Hugo, I did see Hugo after that and really enjoyed it. And then rewatching it, I'm like, oh yeah, this movie, this movie, I still love as much as I did the first time I watched it. Which I can also say about Moneyball. But mm -hmm. film wise, Hugo's where it's at. This is, I mean, I, I this doesn't happen all the time, but this is. We watched ten movies mm -hmm. for this show, and I found something to like in every single one, and that it does not always happen. Yeah. Um. So we watched I was pretty, ten. I was pretty movies. pleased. We watched ten movies for this show, and I found one, two, three of them to be absolutely worthless. Hey, you know, but for you, that's a pretty good track record. Yeah, I mean, that's that's less than fifty percent. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great. Up next on Academy Rewind is two thousand two. The movies are as follows. The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Boo. Ring. Gosford Park. Oh, I thought you were going to make a sound A Beautiful Mind, In the Bedroom, and Moulin Rouge. Okay. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> I was saying uh, Boo Earns. I was saying Boo Earns. Well, I'm glad you were saying Boo Earns because they're playing us off. No, I have some more. I'm changing my... Uh... Changing my catchphrase from now on. Wait, stop the music. Well, what are you changing the what are you changing the music to? Uh I don't know yet. We're gonna find out next episode. Oh, okay, good. I need really to think about it. Off now. So, <laughs> I have someone to repeat the thing. Bye. 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 Bye.